Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. Good afternoon, church. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. It's going to be our, in uh, our text today. We're continuing and we're finishing our Advent series remember on Jesus being our prophet and priest and king so let's go over those questions anybody got to memorize already question uh, let's let's look at it. question uh, put up that question number 23 that's reminding us of the remember the question is what offices does Christ execute as our redeemer Christ as our redeemer executes the office of what a prophet and priest and king both in his estate of humiliation and exaltation and how about number 26 anybody got that memorized how does Christ execute the office of king that's what we're going to talk about today Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself in ruling and defending us and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies All right, who's got that memorized? I got 500 right here. A 500 uh, cent bill. Right here. Right Right, you thought that's $500. No, come on. Anyway, thank you. Now, I was was trying to keep in my string, right, because the last two or three sermons in a row, I was using 90s hip-hop references, and so I almost called this message. You can put that next picture up. Down with the king. After my favorite group. But, but anyway, I settled on a different one. And that is that Jesus is our king. And he's still on the throne. He's still on the throne. Does anybody believe that today? He's still on the throne. Now I'm going to read Psalm 2 in just a minute. But um, just to, to set the context. This psalm. Do you know this one? I didn't find this out until I was studying for this sermon. This psalm is the one that is quoted the most. In all the New Testament. Right? You would think it'd be Psalm 23 or something like that. Other great psalm. But it's this one. Psalm 2. And so it, this is really important about Jesus being the king. And so I want you to imagine what we have in our country are inaugurations. Right? Whenever there's a new president, there's an inauguration service. But I want you to imagine as they have a new king, they have a coronation. A coronation service. And this is probably one of the songs that they would always sing or read, or recite this psalm too. And maybe it was written by, by David or, or Solomon or one of those folks, and they would, they would give it whenever there was a new king that took place. But I want you to think about what we know about the people of God in the Old Testament, right? And we think about their history. They, they go into exile, but still they're singing that song because God wants to, them to remember that even though they're in exile, guess what? He's still on the throne. And even after the exile, they're not sure what's going to happen. But God wants them to sing this song because he wants them to know what? That he's still on the throne. And as they're looking forward to the coming of the great king, the king of kings, he wants them to know, even though their circumstances might say different, that he's still on the throne. And so that's the setting for this psalm. I want to read it beginning with verse 1. Hear now the reading of God's word. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? 
the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is God's word. Let's go to God in prayer together. God, again, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for what it testifies about itself, that it's living and active, that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And Lord, we thank you for that because you're able to get beneath the surface with us. Lord, you're able to get to our thoughts and our attitudes and our minds and even our very hearts. And so we pray that you would work it, all of that in us in this time that, that we have together. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence with us already in all the places we're gathered online. Continue to guide us. Continue to fill us. Help us understand these words that we read from this glorious psalm. But not only that, fill us with your power, fill us with yourself so that we can live in light of this psalm, in light of the king who has come, in light of the fact that you are still on the throne. All this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Now I want to ask you, let's be vulnerable for a second. All right, I don't know, have you ever been intimidated at school before? Anybody ever been intimidated? I, I, I'm saying it because I'm talking about myself. Where I've been and I heard other people talking and using these big giant words and I'm like, what in the world are they saying? I, I don't talk like that. I can't fit. And so I remember when I went to seminary, right? Vince was here talking about a seminary. We're saying these big giant theological terms and these words and I'm like, man, I just don't fit in. I, I, don't, I don't understand what's going on. But then as I started to learn what some of the words meant, you know what I realized is I had been learning about them all along. I just didn't know what the terms were. And I bet you know some of them too. All right, we're going to do a little quiz. Is that all right? We'll do a little theological quiz up in here and see how we do. All right. So there was a, a saying, there was a word, a thing that people were talking about, talking about God's hesed. And I didn't know that was Hebrew, but, but this covenant loyalty, this covenant faithfulness he would have. And I'm like, wow, what does that mean? But what I realized is we've been talking about it all the time back in church when we would say God is good and all the time. But then there was another one. Have you ever heard that term, the, the sovereignty of God? Right, I would hear that and I'm like, wow, that sounds amazing. What, what in the world does that mean? And then I realized that what we had talked about before was saying he's God all by himself. See, so y'all already know what that is. And then people would talk about the everlasting reign of God. 
and all these things. And I'm like, wow, what does that mean? And, and I realized we'd, I'd heard that before too. When they said, guess what? No matter what else is going on around, he's still on the throne. See, y'all knew all of them already. And so it's not above uh, any of us here. We do know those things. We knew what they were. He's still on the throne. That's the one we're going to focus on today. And so think about again. Think about them first. Then I'm going to move to us. But think about them. They're going through this crazy, crazy time. And all the circumstances around them are, are going topsy-turvy. But yet God is telling them he's still on the throne. But they say, God, hold on. Wait a minute. The stronger nations are coming up against us. But guess what? He's still on the throne. God, we're following a king who doesn't follow you, and he's leading us down the wrong path. But God is saying, guess what? He's still on the throne. And then they go in exile. They say, oh, no, God, what's happened? What's happened? The kingship is over. They say, oh, no, it isn't, because he's still on the throne. Well, think about the times that we say things like that, or we wonder that. What is it that causes us to wonder if God is still on the throne, what circumstances move us to say the same thing? Maybe there's a struggle that you have and you've been going and every time you feel like you're two steps forward, what happens? You take three steps back, but guess what? He's still on the throne. Your body is sick, it's in pain. You don't know when God is gonna answer. You don't know when God is gonna change that. You wonder if he's listening at all, but guess what? He's still on the throne. Maybe you're single and you don't want to be, or you're married and you're struggling and you're wondering, God, have you done the right thing with my life? Guess what? He's still on the throne. Maybe you've grown up in this very community and you've lived your whole life here and people say, oh, you know, you should leave. You should do this. You should do that. But you say, no, I've been called here. I love it here, but I'm struggling. Every time I, I try to move ahead, I keep, keep getting pulled back. I keep doing everything that everybody said you're supposed to do to succeed, and yet I'm not doing that. But God says to you today, guess what? He's still on the throne. Maybe God has called you here from somewhere else, and you've been here for years, and you've been serving and loving, and you feel like, Lord, sometimes I don't know if it's making any difference at all. Well, here this psalm reminds us again, he's still on the throne. Whatever it is that you bring, whatever you come with today, he lays this word before us to remind us that Jesus is the king and that he's still on the throne. Well, how do we, how do we, what do we learn about that from the text? And what he's saying to us is that God rules the world. And because of that, we need to take refuge in God. This is what it's calling us to, to take refuge in him. But what do we see about that? He's gonna, I'm going to show us three things that the text pulls out. There's a lot here, but we're going to break it down just into three. We're going to look first at the rebellion against the king, and then we're going to look at the revelation of the king, and then the last thing, we'll look at the refuge of the king, all right, and see what each of those teach us about him still being on the throne. Let's start with the rebellion against the king, looking at verse one. And, and it starts, it's with a question. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot in vain. Now I want you to understand, this is not a rhetorical question. It's not, or excuse me, it is kind of a rhetorical question. It's not that he's trying to find out the answer and say, hmm, someone explain to me exactly why this is. He's going, 
these people are crazy. Why are they acting like that? I was trying to think of a face that would exemplify the, the mood of this question. Can you put up that picture? This is the best that I could come up with. Oh, it didn't work? Okay. Just how about I'll make it myself like this. It was a Kevin Hart face. Like, what? What? Are you serious? You got to be kidding me. That doesn't make any sense at all is what is the mood of this as they're saying. Look at verse 2. It says the kings of the earth set themselves. And that's, it's actually kind of military language, right? They're, they're gathering together so they can attack against the Lord and his king. And it says the rulers take counsel together. Now think about that. It's talking about rulers of these foreign nations. And many of them, they would never get along with each other. But now they're coming together. Why? And he says, against the Lord and against his anointed. They're taking counsel together to come and attack God. And that has never changed. The kings of this world. And, and it would literally happen to Israel. right? Whenever there's a change in administration... Right, People think, all right, this is a good time to attack. And so that's what would happen to them. But what he's saying here is they're not just attacking Israel's king. Ultimately, they're attacking the Lord and his anointing. And so we say, why? Why would they want to do that? Why would people want to attack the Lord and attack his anointed? Look at verse 3. Here's what they say to themselves. Let us burst their bonds apart. And cast away their cords from me. What is that language describing? What do you think he means by the bonds? Right? He's talking about chains and being in slavery. And so how are they viewing what it is to have the Lord as king? Or have the king's Lord as their king? They're saying, you know what? That is bondage. To be under the king, under the Lord, is bondage. And so they say, we are going to tear our bonds apart. And so do you know that thing? That hasn't changed all the way back from Genesis chapter 3. Because you think back, remember when we were looking at that passage and the serpent is talking with Eve, with Adam there, not saying nothing. And what does he do with them? He tries to get them to doubt the fact that God is good. He's saying, is God really for you? No, no. Did God really say that? Oh, no, that's not what's going to happen. See, God knows that, that if you have that, you're going to know just as much as he does. That's what they're doing. It's a way of saying that God is trying to keep you in bondage. And I don't know about you, but as I, I look at my own life, and I was going to say when I was young, but, but even now, like in the midst of my sin, it's still believing that lie. That following God is some kind of bondage and that I need to break free from that bondage. But in it, what ends up happening is you become enslaved to somebody else. You become enslaved to a master that doesn't care about you, that doesn't love you at all, wanting to break those very bonds. So this is the rebellion of the king. So what can we take away from that before we go to the next thing? What can we take away? This rebellion of the king. Well, two things. One is to expect it, to expect the world around us to rebel against the king. When that happens, it's not unusual. In fact, if you go, if you put up that next verse, it's from Acts chapter 4. 
and the believers have gathered together, right? They've been going through this persecution and all this. Peter and John were just in prison and they were just set free because of preaching the gospel. And you know what they did? They went back and looked at this psalm. And they said exactly what's happening is what is in verses 1 and 2 of this psalm. And here's what they prayed. They said, truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. You remember them in Jesus' story, right? They're the ones that end up sentencing him to death on the cross, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. But then look at, look at what it says in the last part of that verse, in verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. So in other words, they're rebelling against God. That's absolutely right. But guess what? It still fits within the plan of God. And so please take heart from that. Yes, expect the rebellion against God and against the plans of God. And you will feel that as you are in this community serving God and doing the things that God has called you to do right here, living sacrificially and lovingly for the people around you, expect that there will be rebellion against that. And guess what? It's still within the plan of God. So listen, I say that to say, and I say that to myself, there's no need to cry about it. You can put up that next picture. I hope that one shows up. To be crying LeBron. Could you imagine LeBron, this great basketball player, and we can argue, who's better, Jordan or LeBron? Maybe another time. Or maybe Steph or LeBron or something. I don't know. Steph or Jordan. I don't know. But imagine if LeBron is getting the ball and going down the court and comes back with that face crying. And he says, Coach, every time I try to put the ball in the basket, they try to stop me. Every time I go up to dunk, somebody tries to block my shot. Every time I try to pass to a teammate, they try to intercept it. You'd be like, LeBron, what you talking about, man? That's what they're there for. That's why you get paid $40 million, because you're supposed to be able to overcome that. And so the same thing is true for us, to be able to expect the opposition, not primarily to us, but to the Lord and to his anointed. But here's the other thing, in addition to expecting that rebellion, is to realize that it's not only rebellion out there, but there's also rebellion in here. <laughs> if we're really honest. And by in here, I mean within the church, and I mean within myself, and within us. It's not just the rebellion out there. There's also rebellion in here, within us. You guys know that story in Luke 15, right, of the, the lost son. Really, that story, there's two lost sons. If you keep on reading that story, remember the one son comes to his father, and really he feels like being under his father's household is bondage. Does that sound familiar? He feels like it's taken away his freedom. And so he says, Father, I want you to give me my share of the estate. I don't want to have to wait until you die. I want it now so I can leave. Can you imagine hearing that? But he takes it and he goes away. And, and you know the story. He ends up being in a place where he is longing to eat the pig food. He's so hungry and so destitute. But then he comes back. And his father welcomes him and restores him, not just to being in the household or living with the servants, but being a son in the family. But do you remember the reaction in that story of the older brother? He got mad that the father is loving the younger brother. He wasn't happy that the younger brother came home. 
How did he react to the father? The father goes out to him, and what does he say to the father? He says, all these years, I've been slaving for you. And you didn't give me a young goat so I could celebrate. And so the older son, even though he's in the house the whole time, he feels like it's bondage. So the younger son thought it was bondage, but so did the older one. They both think it's bondage being under the care of the father. And so I ask you, which one do you resonate with more? And as I was thinking about that myself, I'm like, you know, part of my life I resonate more with the younger. Some of the time I resonate more with the older. Maybe it's both. But who, you, who do you resonate with more? Feeling like it's bondage. Feeling like to go and follow God, that would be bondage to you. That would take away life. That would take away your freedom. Or maybe you've been following God. You are faithfully following God. And deep down, there's maybe, I don't know, regret. Maybe there's, there's, there's bitterness. There's, there's hurt. There's wondering, God, has it really been worth it? Because I've been following you. I've been doing everything you've been telling me to do, and my life is still a mess. I'm, still not, I'm seeing people that are not following you, and it seems like they're doing all right. So I don't know what it is for you. But here we see this is that rebellion against the king. It's out there. And it's, it's in us too. And so what do we do with that? Well, let's keep going. Let's keep going. In the second part, what we want to look at is the revelation of the king. That's the king revealing who he is and who his king is. Now, do you wonder how the king responds to the world being against him like that? Do you think he's pacing the floor and going, oh, man, what am I going to do? This is terrible. I don't know what's going to happen. How does the king respond? Well, verse 3. It says, oh, excuse me, verse 4. It says, he who, first he tells you, who sits in heaven. And that's a contrast right there because earlier it was talking about the kings of the earth. And here it's saying the king who sits in heaven. And how does it say he responds? He laughs. He laughs. He's laughing at them. Now, y'all know that saying where you say, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. Well, here he's laughing at them. <laughs> He's, going, he's the other side. He's laughing at them. He's saying, this is crazy. And he's saying, he, the Lord holds them in derision. And so he's laughing at them, but this is serious. But he's like, what in the world are y'all trying to do? Come against the one who is the Lord of lords, the maker of all things, the maker of the universe. So then verse 5, it says, then he will speak to them in his wrath. And terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. In other words, what, the, what God is saying is, I already took care of this. I already put my king on the throne. Y'all can devise all the plans and all the counsel and set yourselves against me all you want to, but I've already said who the king is. And that's my son, Jesus Christ, who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You can come against him if you want to. But guess what? He's still going to be the king. He's still on the throne no matter how you decide to respond to that. Well, then in the next stanza of this poem, if you look, oh, excuse me, verse 6. I forgot to read that. It's, go back to verse 6. Thank you. It says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. What is it that makes the hill holy? 
Is it great real estate? No, it's because he's there. That's what makes it holy. Because he has set it apart as his own. And he says, I've already set my king in that place. So keep going. And so in the next stanza, you can go to verse 7. Now there's a little bit of a change. Now the anointed one speaks. And what he talks about is what the king actually, or what the Lord has said to him. So here in verse 7, it says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And what that means is, is, is not birth, but it means he has set him in a position, in the ultimate position. Verse 8, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. Not just this nation, not just Israel, but all the nations will be your heritage. And then look at this, and the ends of the earth will be your possession. What's included in the ends of the earth? Everything. He's saying it's yours, king. Regardless of what everybody else says around you, regardless of what everybody else does, this is the king, and this is your kingdom. And so all the New Testament writers, see, now you understand why they quote it so much? Because they would come and say, you know who the king is that this is talking about? It's talking about King Jesus, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who is the eternal son and who is the righteous king for all time. That's who he is. This is the revelation of the king. So how do we respond? Well, I was just looking at some of the different references, and one of them is in Acts 13. I didn't print this, but I'll, I'll just tell you, as Paul is speaking and he's quoting this psalm, he quotes it to people and says, you know what the application is? Repent and believe in the king. Come and submit your life to the king, Jesus Christ. And I say that to say maybe there's somebody that's watching online today. Maybe there's somebody that's in this room today. And maybe you've said, I'm going to be my own queen. I'm going to be my own king. And what he's saying is that the king of kings and the Lord of lords has called you to be in his kingdom. That's what's going on here. And so he says, repent and believe. Turn from wherever you were going to turn towards this king, the one in whom Life is found. In that parable of the prodigal son, it says when that son was in the pit with the pigs and longing to eat all the stuff they were eating, it says in the Bible that he came to his senses. And then when he did, he turned around and went back. Maybe God is working in the heart of somebody at home. Maybe he's working in the heart of somebody in this room to turn, to come to your senses. And turn to the King, Jesus Christ. He invites you to come. Now, how else should we respond? Say, we know Jesus already. Well, we should respond with a gospel takeover. Now, notice I said that fast. Not a hostile takeover, but a gospel takeover. Now, why am I saying that? Because what should our posture be as the people of God to the world around us? You know what it could be sometimes? In a bad way, we're like, all right, Jesus is the king. He's already come. He's coming back as a judge. He's going to set things right, so y'all wait. All right, go ahead and have your fun now. Go ahead and rebel against him now. Go ahead, but he's going to come, and he's cracking heads. He's burning. You're going to fall into the pit of fire. But what does he call us to do? You can put up that next verse. In verse 28. 
Skip, I mean, to the Matthew. There, thank you. It says, and Jesus came. This is after he's resurrected. And before he ascends, he says, all authority, or another way to say that is all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what is our response? What is the, um, the gospel takeover? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And so that is how the king calls us to apply that, to be not hostile, but gospel with the people and the place that God has called us to, announcing and living out in our actions and the works that we do in a community, living out that the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus. And one more, one more thing to do before we go to the last thing, and that is to fix our eyes on the king in every place that we're tempted. How do we respond to the revelation of the king? We fix our eyes on him in every place that we're tempted. And where I got that from, as I was looking at a place where they quote this psalm, is in Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 2. And it's amazing there because it talks about, on the one hand, of the Son, Jesus Christ. He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. But yet, as Steve preached about last week, he's also our high priest. He is an amazing God. He's God in the flesh, but he's God in the flesh. He's got divinity, but he's also got humanity. And so what that means is not just that he's this great king, but he's a great king who's with you and who's with me in every struggle, in every temptation, in everything that you go through, in everything that brings tears to your eyes. The king comes down and he's with you. And so Steve preached about this last week. Who's calling me? I'm preaching. Come on now. Steve preached about this last week. Therefore, come. Come to the him. Come to the king. Come to the, the high priest. Come to him with whatever it is. Whatever your struggle is. Wherever you're tempted. In Hebrews 2, it says he's able to help all those who are tempted because he himself suffered. Everything that you've suffered, he's suffered and probably more. Because he's felt the full extent of the temptation. And so where is it that you feel tempted? The king says, come. Whether it's a temptation in an area of sin or whether it's a temptation to give up. Whether it's a temptation to throw in the towel and not continue because you feel weary and tired because you've been at this for a while and it doesn't seem like anything's working. He's with you. The king is with you in the midst of that. All right, we're going to go to the last thing. And I'll be quick with this, Jeremiah. This is the refuge of the king, right? We've seen the rebellion against the king. Excuse me. And the, we just looked at the revelation of the king. Lastly, though, we want to look at the refuge of the king. So let's go down to verse 10. Now, therefore, O kings... Be wise. Now, on the one hand, this is kind of a, you would say, this is a, um, an ultimatum. But you know what it is as we get into it? It's an invitation. He says, now, therefore, O kings, 
be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Verse 11, serve the Lord. And that has kind of a worship connotation in there. Serve the Lord, how? With fear. That means a worshipful awe of who God is and who his king is. He's inviting in, right? He is the king of kings and lord of lords, and he invites you. He invites you to come and to serve him. And how does it say to serve him? This is an interesting combination, right? It says rejoice with trembling. Now, how are you supposed to do that? Rejoice with trembling. That's a wild combination, but only God can bring those things together because he's one on the one hand that causes us rejoicing because he brings us life. What was that song that we were singing about Jesus, right? New life, new hope to all he brings. Let the angels sing glory, glory to the newborn king. That's a cause for great rejoicing, but it's also a cause for trembling because he's the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, the great righteous judge over all. And so he calls us to both. Which one do you lean towards? Do you lean more towards the rejoicing or do you lean more towards the trembling? He's saying it's, you, you got to have both. Have both of those there. Both are appropriate. And then finally, verse 12. This is the last verse. He says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. What does he mean by kiss the son? That's not talking about a romantic kiss. It's not even talking about a friendly kiss, greeting. It's talking about, as you would see, when a king holds out his ring. And you, or you bend down on the ground before the king. And you kiss his feet. Or maybe you kiss the ground in front of his feet. Now, what is that a posture of? What is this a posture of? It's a posture of submission, of humility, of humbling ourselves before the king. Lord, you might have to help me get up. Thank you. I got it. <laughs> Thank you, brother. But the king is inviting them to humility and obedience. Now, there and there it says his wrath is quickly kindled. And maybe you're here today and you're all, see, that's why I don't like reading about the Old Testament. I don't like the God of the Old Testament because you... You talk about all this wrath and fury and all of this stuff. Well, actually, they are amazing signs of his love. How many times, right, in our community and in what we're going through, do we say, God, I just long for justice. I long for you to set things right. Think about the injustices you've suffered in your life. And it feels like nobody cared or nobody was watching or nobody was going to do anything about it. But here, what that says when you see that wrath and that fury, that means God is. That God cares about everything you've suffered. About everything that every person has suffered. And he will do something about it. And he is. That's good news. And then finally, the last part, it says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so listen, you cannot take refuge from him. You only take refuge in him. Right? Remember, Steve preached about Psalm 46 that says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help 
in times of trouble. What is a refuge? That's a place where you go for safety, for rest, for comfort, and you go there. We don't find re a refuge from him. We find refuge in him. Some of you remember this Christmas movie from many years ago. You can put that picture up. The preacher's wife. Some of y'all, you remember that? Some of y'all have seen that. It's a good Christmas time movie. You can see this while you're on break. But it has an amazing soundtrack. But one of the songs in there is called I Go to, oh, I Go to the Rock. And, and the question, you remember what it said? You know, the, you know every song. But it says, where do I go when the storms of life are threatening? Where do I go when the winds of sorrows blow? And then he says, is there a refuge? In the times of tribulation, I go to the rock because I know he's able. I go to the rock. And so what he's inviting you to is to come to the rock. Come to the refuge. Jesus Christ, whoever you are, come because he's still on the throne. Where are you going for refuge today? Where are you going for refuge at home? Where are you going? He says, come to me. I'm the only one who provides the, rest, the refuge that you need. You say, Pastor, that sounds good. But how do I know that he's the refuge that can come through? How do I know that I can trust him to be this refuge that, that you're talking about? Well, I'm thankful Pastor Steve reminded me of something or taught me something the other day about the idea of a refuge. You know what a refuge is? Somebody quoted that verse a little bit earlier from Proverbs 18, right? The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and it says the righteous run to it, and they're what? And they're saved. What did that mean? That means when you were under attack, you would run to the refuge, and you would get behind the walls of the refuge, and you would be saved. Why? Because the refuge is strong and it's powerful. And so all the attacks of the enemy, what do they hit? When they're shooting arrows, whether they're shooting cannons, whatever, dropping bombs, whatever it is, what do they hit? They hit the refuge. And you're behind, so you are protected and you are safe. But guess what? The refuge is taking upon itself all of the destruction that was meant for you. And so when we say that Jesus is a refuge, we say that because he's taking it for you. And you say, why, would he, why in the world would he do that? Why in the world would he be bruised for my transgressions and crushed for my iniquities? You know why? Because he loves you. Did you know that today? Is there somebody in this room? No, I know it. There's somebody in this room. There's somebody at home that needed to hear that Jesus died, he became a refuge for you because he loved you. Because he wanted you in his family. He didn't want you to take refuge from him. He wanted you to take refuge in him. Because he's the one that's still on the throne. There's a song that says, I don't know why Jesus loved me. I don't know why Jesus cared. I don't know why he sacrificed his life. Oh, but I'm glad. Is there anybody glad today? Is there anybody glad that he did? He left his mighty throne in glory to bring to us redemption story. I don't know why, but I'm glad that he did. He's the refuge. He is the king. And he's still on the throne today. Whatever you came with today, he's still on the throne. 
whatever is hurting your heart today, he's still on the throne. Whatever's facing you tomorrow, he's still on the throne. Whatever beat you up yesterday, he's still on the throne today. Let me pray. Thanks for listening and God bless.